Hi, dance friends. This past week, a choreographer slash writer slash director who co-hosts one of our favorite dance podcasts was quoted as follows. It is a fallacy with a form that is not language-based for someone to say that they know everything about a work or about an artist. That is not true. What kept bringing me back to dance is that it picks up where language ends. I need there to be mystery because that is what is true. So who said it? Who is the multi-hyphenate lover of mystery? The answer at the end of this episode of the Dance Edit Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Dance Edit Podcast. I'm Margaret Fuhrer. I'm Courtney Escoyne. And I'm Cadence Neenan. We are editors at Dance Magazine and Dance Spirit Magazine, and in today's episode, we'll be sautéing through some of the week's dance headlines, um, discussing the problems that arise when dance content is offered for free online, celebrating the cult classic film Center Stage's 20th birthday, so major, and hearing from Dutch national ballet soloist Michaela de Prince about her social distancing life. This is such a stacked episode. Um, First, though, just a reminder, if you haven't yet to rate, review, and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or your listening platform of choice, and then also to give us a follow and maybe a shout on Instagram at the.dance.edit, and then on Twitter, too, at dance underscore edit, just because we love hearing from you all. Um, And our Twitter feed, just a reminder, is the place to go for all breaking dance world news about the pandemic. It's like the Times Square stock ticker for those types of stories, so it's a good way to make sure you stay. What I have written here is to make sure you... (laughs) Stay in the menage, which is truly awful, and I apologize, but I still said it. So. <laughs> I'm side-eyeing you so hard, Margaret. <laughs> oh, anyway, on to our first segment, um, which is a quick dance headline rundown, because there, there were a bunch of notable news stories this past week we wanted to make sure that we called out. And as is true of most news coverage these days, this is a bit of a roller coaster roller ride, fair warning. Um, we're going to hit you with a lot of sad news first, but I promise things get dramatically better toward the end of the list. So Courtney, will you start us off? Okay, so Broadway's closure uh, has officially been extended at least through Labor Day. So for those of you keeping count, that'll be nearly six months after theaters went dark on March 12th, and the gap is likely to stretch further. Following pension strikes earlier this year and now coronavirus closures, leadership at the Paris Opera Ballet announced that they're looking at losses of roughly $43 million this year and may not reopen until 2021. Definitely curious to see what next season looks like in Paris. Um, Yeah. Meanwhile, uh, choreographer Jean Erdman passed away at the age of 104. Uh, was a fantastic dancer with Marf Graham Dance Company, as well as a choreographer and director in her own right. An editor at Dance Spirit had the chance to speak with executive producer Nigel Lithgow about the future of So You Think You Can Dance, which for the moment remains uncertain. But for now, producers are sifting through video submissions and hoping for the best for the show. Yeah, and there was they floated the he floated the idea of possibly if they can't record a live show, doing a season in which they compared past seasons, like the best and worst of, which is fascinating to me. We'll see what what happens there. Um, And an exciting news for dance history geeks like me, uh, Martha Graham's archive is going to live at the Jerome Robbins Dance Division at the New York Library for the Performing Arts. Uh, So once New York City reopens and they get all the materials integrated, those materials are going to be accessible 
by anyone with a library card. Really exciting news. And history is happening in Manhattan and probably Mm -hmm. your living room. (laughs) Lin-Manuel Miranda announced that the much-anticipated Hamill film, originally slated for release October 2021, is coming to Disney Plus this summer, just in time for Independence Day. Cadence, I believe, is already planning her themed menu for her viewing party. Yeah. We were um, talking about this. There's There's been some puns created. I'm going to float just like my favorite, which is, pardon me, are you Aaron Burgers? And you just mm-hmm. like right <laughs> off the bat right there. Yep. Lin-Manuel Miranda, as ever, just understanding our content needs in a way that nobody else does. Um, but figuring out what kind of digital dance content is welcome and necessary and when and how and why that content should be offered is a really complicated task right now, um, which leads us into our second segment. Um, We want to talk about the longer term implications of offering dance for free online, which is an issue that's especially urgent right now as dance organizations are essentially expected to serve up these banquets of streamed performances, even as they're struggling financially. Um, And the discussion is is prompted by a story that Dance Magazine did this week, which asked six prominent dance figures to address this very issue. Yeah, so uh, for the story, uh, people like artistic director of Pacific Northwest Ballet, Peter Bull, uh, New York City Ballet principal, Tyler Peck, director of Smoon, all these different figures who play very different roles in the dance world were talking about what kind of content is being offered online by companies and by individuals right now. And the question becomes, if we put a performance online for free, um, financially, is that actually feasible for us? Alternatively, if we make something need to be paid for, is that going to actually result in any revenue? And it's a very... A complex balancing act that's being considered right now, I think. I think when we first went into lockdown, the thought was, let's put as much as we can online, just get that re- get those resources out there as quickly as we can. You know, nobody was anticipating the longevity of this crisis. But now that we are seeing how long it's probably going to last, I think people are starting to think about the ramifications. Um, I thought, you know, Paul Michael Bloodgood from Ballet Austin, he mentioned the online security considerations for posting choreography online. And he was talking about how, you know, YouTube isn't particularly secure. But in my head, I'm wondering what about screen recording, any other ways of illegally downloading this content? It's a really interesting question of, you know, how are we protecting these iconic works and making sure that they're being used in the proper forums? Well, and I think also like Margaret Selby was talking about like having like her argument is having full performances streamed for free doesn't actually serve anyone, which I thought was like it's a hot take, but she does have a point in that it's not going to replicate what a live performance really is. And why not let us miss that a little bit so that audiences are motivated to buy tickets for the real thing when we're able to all be back together again? Yeah, that was a point that um, critic Deborah Levine also made in, in a thoughtful essay that she wrote for Arts Meme. Um, would we all be better off if we just kind of let dance go for a while and actually took a minute to mourn it and gave it some space instead of throwing all of this, you know, sometimes less than great digital content up online immediately, especially because initially when we were doing that, like you said, Cadence, it was it was a stopgap measure. There was no sense that this was the way it would be going forward. But now it increasingly seems like there is an expectation that this might be the way it'll be going forward. Um, well, and I think it seems like we've said this before, but it feels like 
in the future, because now there is this expectation of online content, I think that companies are going to have to be thinking about both how do we produce online content as well as live content. And I think our approaches to how we do that should be separate things. Mm -hmm. Integrated, but I think they are two distinctly different ways of presenting dance. And that needs to be acknowledged and developed further. Yeah, and I think that that's one of the reasons why the the digital pieces that have felt most successful are not just the, the videos of proscenium performances thrown up online, but things made specifically for this moment. Things made mm. on Zoom feel kind of right right now. They are speaking to the moment that we're all living in. And I think a lot of artists had already, like a lot of individual artists had already been doing the work of how do I develop performances specifically using the internet as a tool, as opposed to let me stick something up here after the fact. So there's a separate but related point to be made here, too. Um, and choreographer Raja Feather Kelly made it at brilliant length this week um, in an essay called Has Anyone Asked Artists What They Need? Um, I, we didn't touch on this yet, but one of the reasons that arts institutions have been putting out these streams of content is in the hopes that they will raise some money. I mean, they're almost always bracketed by fundraising calls. And then our inboxes are also full of these fundraising emails. And those calls are always positioned as ways to support artists. But as Raja points out, few of the institutions raising these funds have actually talked to dance artists about what they need right now. So everyone's asking for support, but artists aren't personally feeling that support. And Raja even, you know, he narrates his own experience, but then reaches out to fellow artists in his communities and even includes verbatim their text messages anonymously, of course, but sharing as many different perspectives from artists who are struggling as he possibly can. And it's really just this visceral understanding of what they're all going through, seeing their text messages saying, I'm really struggling. I don't feel like I have any support right now. I don't know if I ever did have any support. It's really emotional and really puts you right into the heads of the people who are experiencing this. The crux of it really has to do with this feeling of as an independent artist, not having an institution or an organization that you consider home. And I think a lot of what Raja talks about in this piece is reflective of what our current funding model for dance is pre-COVID, which is that there are large established organizations and institutions that get the lion's share of funding, and then that trickles down via commissions and granting programs for individual artists, but never minding that more and more dance artists have come to exist outside of singular organizations over the last couple of decades. Um, so like it has with so many other issues, the pandemic's thrown this existing issue into sharper relief. Um, independent dance artists hustle just to get by because the current system only supports a fraction of them. And I think one moment that really like in this piece just broke my heart was these dance artists who are already struggling, getting emails from those institutions, asking them for donations, asking them even to share their own work for free. And it's just like they're asking for them to share their choreography, them to share their time, go on podcasts, give their emotional energy to talking about their experiences all for free. And I just, I, it just must be so incredibly difficult to be fielding those requests while you're already struggling. I feel like the takeaway from every conversation we've been having about coronavirus-related stories is the pandemic is throwing into sharper relief problems that were already inherent in mm -hmm. the way the arts world works right now. Um, I mean, I guess for this one, let's all keep talking not just at each other, but 
with each other so we can incorporate a real diversity of perspectives into critical efforts like relief initiatives and performance planning and and determining what the new norms for digital content should be. Um, Let's get as many voices as possible in those conversations. As Raja put it, each choice we make today designs our world for tomorrow. Couldn't have said it better. There you go. Um, Okay. Are you ready? (laughs) No, absolutely not. What are you saying? Born ready. (laughs) So next up is a segment that just sparks so much joy for all of us. Um, I think we've been waiting for it since we launched the podcast. Since I was born, potentially, if I'm going to be honest with you. (laughs) Was there a time before Center Stage? I don't remember (laughs) it. I'm old, so I do, but... um, We're going to have now a little throwback Thursday discussion about Center Stage, which celebrated its 20th birthday on Tuesday. And Lydia, who was supposed to be off this week, is going to join us now because we all wanted in on this one. Hi, Lydia. Whoa, where'd you come from? Did you ride it on a motorcycle? Is that what you just did? Yes, I absolutely did. (laughs) I am so glad you saw my my wonderful entrance. (laughs) Ethan would be proud. Um, so recently, just for a little context here, um, there are two big oral history style stories that came out um, getting into the making of the film. So we at Dance Spirit did one talking to the dance star specifically, and then the good folks at Vulture did a more mainstream piece that included some of the non-dancers from the production. And oh, man, they're just full of gems. They absolutely are. Um, so where do we even begin? Um, I, the fact that it was directed by someone who really appreciated dance came through. Um, Nick Heitner, they mentioned him in both stories, was really supportive of ballet. Um, and also, at the time, there were a lot of teen movies, but this one stood out for so many reasons. But one thing I liked about it was it really depicted young people who are just striving toward this common goal and they're figuring out the messiness of life and ambition and art. Um, and that's those are universal themes. I also want to talk about some of the reveals we got in these stories. Like, let's so talk many. about the casting process for Charlie. The fact that, okay, it was written for Angel Correa and I cannot deal with that. He was my first dance crush and I just, I just can't, guys. I can't. <laughs> so it's, yeah, so just again, a little context. It sounds like the the role of Charlie was originally imagined as perhaps Carlos and they want uh, talked to Angel Correa about doing it. They also talked to Joaquin Deleuze about potentially doing it. Then they talked to Benjamin Millipier about doing it as like Charlie, like the French version. And then through a various twists of fate, you know, Angel blew out his ankle. And it, I guess they ended up going with Sasha Radetzky, who initially was pulled in to audition for the Ilya Kulik part. He was supposed to have, you know, put on a thick Russian accent. and Because he did train there. He has the bona fides. But I, what a different movie that would have been. And I just, I'm so glad it ended up being Sasha. Oh, like, yes. oh of course. Our boy next door, Charlie, like he's perfect. And it will, and everybody was just in love with him. But I think also the fact that he and Ethan are real life best friends, I mean, just added so much to the movie. I remember watching a behind the scenes clip at some point in the past where like Ethan was watching it on playback and he and they're like, yeah, it looks really great. And he kind of like made a face and they're like, okay, one more for Ethan, I guess. Such perfectionists, these dancers. Um, But also, let's talk about the one-upsmanship scene between Ethan and Sasha. So they actually filmed the finale first. So And Susan Stroman just asked Sasha to do something impressive. Like, just do, you know, something cool. Throw it in. He's like, okay, I'll do a double tour and a single pirouette and another double tour, and that'll be great. 
And then they filmed the studio rehearsal scene later where Ethan's supposed to be showing Sasha what that step is. And Ethan does like five times as many pirouettes. <laughs> it's insane. Like he ruined the continuity of the film because he just like couldn't stop doing double tours. <laughs> to one of him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love how Susan Stroman said that she'd ask Ethan to do a combination. No matter how hard it was, he'd just be like, sweet. And he'd just kill it. Sweet. That's <laughs> Speaking of our great Cooper Nielsen, other exciting news is that they're now making a television show series as a follow-up to Center Stage, and in which Cooper Nielsen is now the head of the American Ballet Academy and the American Ballet Company. Okay, but they have to get Ethan back, right? I, I just, I will protest anyone other than Ethan playing yeah. Cooper Nielsen. So I, I will protest if it's not Ethan, I will protest if they don't let him keep his current hair and mustache <laughs> situation. Because yes. that's also an extremely Cooper evolution. Oh, yes. Is yes. it? Yes. yes. I, it is. Do we want to talk about that? the epic costume situation in the finale, oh the tearaway gosh. tutu? Hearing the logistics of how that tutu was actually made so mm-hmm. that it would work, it's insane. They actually talked about like it might be less expensive and time-consuming just to do this in visual effects in post. Oh my God. I always uh, assumed it was a visual effect. I love so much that they insisted on it being real yes, costume a practical effect. magic. Yeah, yeah, apparently how they described it, it would take them about 10 minutes to get oh Amanda Shawl back into the tutu in between takes uh, because of the amount of Velcro and snapping that was involved. And apparently underneath the tutu, there was like a handle that mm. Ethan would grab and pull like he was opening a door. And then she would have to counter like balance because he would have to tug it really hard, but she had to shun a forward. And it was like all the like, how? <laughs> To me, I just think it's so cool that this was Zoe Saldana's first film. Mm-hmm. Like, how awesome yeah. is that to have your first movie become a cult classic? Iconic. And the fact that she's gone on to be this, like, incredible action film star who does a lot of her own stunts and she credits a lot of mm-hmm. that to her dance training. Just, mm, it's just love so it. good. Full Dancers circle. can do everything. Okay, I think we need to cut ourselves <laughs> off. <laughs> do we have to, discussion. though? Thanks for joining, Lydia. Thanks, guys. All right, so now we have the next installment in our Social Dis Dancing with a D series, um, in which we ask artists from different parts of the dance world to leave us voice memos describing just how they're coping with life right now. Um, so this week we have the extraordinary Michaela de Prince, who is a soloist with Dutch National Ballet, and she's been social distancing in Amsterdam. So here she is. Hey guys, it's Michaela de Prince here. I know this has been probably just as tough on you as it has been on me. This whole situation of uncertainty and not knowing when or what your future really holds, especially if you're a student trying to get into a company or a company dancer trying to go for another company. Um, I know, I'm sure you guys are doing this, I'm trying to do this as well, is trying to stay in shape, trying to be as fit as possible. But there's one thing that we always forget to also tell athletes in general um, is also trying to make sure you're mentally fit as well and when I say mentally fit it's also knowing to try to keep your mind at ease of this anxiety and uncertainty during this time what helps me a lot is meditating um, or talking to other people who might be feeling the same way as well reaching out to 
anybody who's willing to listen, whether it's friends maybe that you haven't talked to in a long time, this is a great opportunity to reach out to them, uh, see how they're doing and let them see how you're doing and how you can help each other. Reconnecting with family members as well has also, for me, been very, very good. And just trying to make sure that, you know, we're trying to see the light at the end of the tunnel and trying to stay as positive as possible. But also know as well, if you feel unmotivated that day to do anything, it is okay. The less pressure you put on yourself, the less anxiety you have to deal with. Just know whatever you're doing, if you're doing at your best, you possibly can in whatever situation you're in, you are doing a great job. And I just want to say I'm proud of you guys for just trying your best to stay as positive as possible. And don't forget to let yourself feel proud of yourself of just trying to handle the situation the best way that you possibly can. Um, for me, what's great, I think if you have trouble sleeping because you're not as active as you usually are, using Headspace is a great way. Um, using the sleeping um, thing that they have on it is also very helpful. Um, or just meditating after class or if you have no space to do class, that can also just help you just ease your mind of this uncertainty but as well staying active is very helpful and moving or if you have a bike that really helps today I went on a really really nice bike ride which was very beautiful and yeah it was very nice to be able to do that after a ballet class and again I just want you guys to know you are doing the best that you possibly can don't be hard on yourself and just try to see the light at the end of the tunnel and I'm proud of you and be proud of yourself okay Love you guys. Talk to you later. Have a good day. Bye. I mean, honestly, I think I just need to have the clip of Michaela saying I'm proud of you just in my back pocket for rainy days. I mean, thank you so much, Michaela, just for there's so much empathy and, and solid practical advice in there. So if you are not already, please follow Michaela on Instagram at Michaela DePrince. You can keep up with all of her projects. Um, before we sign off, here is the answer to our quote quiz from the top of the episode. So this past week, a dance and theater polymath who co-hosts a truly great dance podcast was quoted as follows. It is a fallacy with a form that is not language based for someone to say they know everything about a work or about an artist. That is not true. What kept bringing me back to dance is that it picks up where language ends. I need there to be mystery because that is what is true. So who said it? Jack Fervor. The the one and only who hosts the What's Going On With Dance and Stuff podcast with the equally wonderful Reed Bartlemy. Yeah, this came up in a New York Times article about the pair of them, the podcast they make, and I have to say runner-up quote from Reed. I would literally be bored to death if we were just talking about dance. I mean, there is a reason <laughs> and stuff is in the name, I suppose, right? <laughs> the and stuff is some of the best stuff. Yeah, as the writer Gia Corliss says, their podcast is is hilarious, but it's also kind of soul-soothing. They're mm -hmm. just completely and utterly themselves. Um, I, I feel like for my personal mental health right now, I just need to like make a nest in my bed and listen to with dance and stuff and read center <laughs> stage stories all day. Yes, <laughs> like that's correct. That's about where I'm at. That is self-care that I endorse. Well, thank you everyone for joining us. We will be back next week for more discussion of all the news that's moving the dance world. And in the meantime, please don't forget to sign up for the daily Dance Edit email newsletter at thedanceedit.com. Keep dancing, everyone. Bye. Bye. The 
Dance Edit podcast is a product of Dance Media, publisher of Dance Magazine, Dance Spirit, Point, Dance Teacher, Dance Business Weekly, and the Dance Edit newsletter. Our hosts are Courtney Escoyne, Margaret Fuhrer, Lydia Murray, and Cadence Neenan. Our music is by Celestine, with special thanks to Broadway Dance Center for helping us record those footfall sounds. Find out more about the Dance Edit and subscribe to our daily newsletter at thedanceedit.com. Thank you.